we are uh, in the middle of Psalms, uh, and I want, want you to get uh, a couple of concepts about Psalms uh, just in your head at this point in time. Psalms, in one sense, document how God's people related to him, right? Historically, you look at them, you just go, okay, they related to God this way, he related to them, that's kind of how it happened. But I don't think that the Psalms are included in the Bible because they teach you history, all right? Psalms actually teach you about how you should relate to God and how God relates to you. They teach you about how to dialogue with God, all right? And when you read the Psalms, you get the sense as you read the Psalms that there's a father talking to his children and the children are talking to the father. And the, and the Psalms are actually giving the children the words to say to the father. And what you actually see in the book of Psalms, in different Psalms there, is you actually see a clash between the children's longing for God and the trouble that they find themselves in. Have you noticed that? It's like they're in pain, they're in difficulty, they long for God, and then there's this, this clash. There's like a collision going on between both of those. And, and about a third of the Psalms are laments. All right? A third of the Psalms are laments. And, and what we actually see in those lament Psalms is we see God's children living in a particular reality and longing for God's reality to become their reality. Does it make sense? Now, let's just pause for a sec. Laments don't sit well for us in Australia, do they? What do we call someone who, uh, who laments a lot? A whinger. A whinger. All right? We do, right? Now, I hear lots of laments in my house. And anyone who has kids hears lots of laments. Isn't that true? Everything's just going well. You're having a great time. Maybe it's a cold winter's day. We're all sitting in front of the fire. It's lovely and warm. It's peaceful. Something happens and... Ah! What's that? It's a lament, isn't it? It's someone is in pain and they're letting out a lament about their pain and it kind of shatters our happy lives. So what do we say to people who lament in Australia? We say, you're a whinger. We say, suck it up. What else do we say? Get over it. Get a life. Man up. But who knows that when uh, you tell someone who's lamenting to do that, it just comes out somewhere else. They might stop doing it in a particular location, but it doesn't stop the lament. It just means it comes out somewhere else. And sometimes what actually happens is people internalise their lament and it kills them. Sometimes literally. True? Sometimes literally. So as I said, a third of the Psalms are laments. Now, what I want to do is uh, I want you to just, just get your head in the game a little bit about the fact that Psalms are songs. All right? And so what I want, I want to read a Psalm together with you. So if you can, if you, I need you to grab a Bible. All right? And basically, if you open up in the middle, maybe just a little bit towards the front, you'll get Psalms. Big numbers of the uh, chapter headings and the small numbers of the verses. I want you to go to uh, Psalm 88. Okay? And I'm going to read this. And what I want you to do as we read Psalm 88 is I want you to imagine coming to church and singing this as one of your worship songs. Okay? You ready for this? O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. 
like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call to you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. It's pretty uplifting. Not? Imagine coming to church and singing that. But that's what they did. They sang those. This was a song. You know, and we're all sitting there and you're going, really, like, is, have we lost some of the manuscript? Isn't there meant to be a happy ending at the end? No, not in that one. There is no happy ending in that psalm. And yet that is a song that God inspired for his people to sing. Now, it raises the question about what the heck we're doing in the modern church. <laughs> Doesn't it? At some level? I mean, really, I mean, we don't even really sing laments that much at this church do we and there's some churches out there that it would be abhorrent to them to actually sing a lament at their church because everything's got to be upbeat and positive but the problem with that is that life's not upbeat and positive have you ever noticed that it's, it's not all the time isn't that true like it's it's just a it's a you know there's skin hair teeth and blood flying at different times in your life and just putting on a cheery Happy song is just not going to cut it. Maybe sometimes at church we need to sing a lament. We always, in a sense, need to have hope, but we need to be raw, don't we? And there's a sense in which the lament psalms teach us about how to relate to God in our trouble. Okay? And today we're actually going to look at a psalm that teaches you how to relate to God in the middle of pain and in the middle of trouble. So if you can flick over a couple of pages to Psalm 77... Uh, that'd be great. And I'm just going to read bits and pieces. Um, and as we go, I'm, uh, I'm just going to throw a few notes in and then I think we'll finish sometime. Okay? Um, I was going to say I'm hoping to be shorter today, but usually that means I go longer. So I, I didn't say that, just in case you're wondering. So Psalm 77, if you look at the top of it in your Bible, it might tell you it's written by a guy called Asaph. All right. Asaph was a musician who was among those whom David appointed to oversee music and worship. He was a Levite. All right. So there's a sense in which he's from a tribe that uh, was responsible for coming in between people and God. So uh, let's, let's just hook in. Eh? Psalm 77, starting at verse 1 there. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God, in case you missed it. You get the sense here? He's crying out, all right? Let's, let's keep going. We'll read the first three verses. And he will hear me. 
In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hear this? He's crying out to God. There's a day of trouble. We're not told what it is, but he's crying out to God. He's moaning. All right? There's a physicality to it. Do you get that? He's moaning. He can't sleep. And he's loud about his trouble to God. And I want to ask you this morning, do you talk to God about your trouble? Do you talk to God about your pain? Because I think you always talk to, to someone about your pain and your trouble, even if it's just yourself. Some of you have just got this ongoing conversation going on in your head about the things that suck in your life, right? But you never actually are talking to God about it. You just talk to yourself about it. Or maybe you talk to your husband or your wife about it or you complain to your kids about it or you complain to your friends about it. You will cry, but will you cry out aloud to God? That's the question. Hosea 7 verse 14 makes this um, piercing uh, kind of discerning statement about God's people. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. And some of you do that. Some of you at night times, you just go, my life sucks and I hate it. And you're lying on your bed and you're complaining about it. And you're having this internal conversation going on all the time, but you're never talking to God about it. And you know what? If that's all you're doing, you're on your own. You're absolutely on your own. You see, what happens when we feel we need to have a stiff upper lip? We become less human. What happens when we don't cry out to God? We become less human. What happens, I think, when we don't cry physically, when we feel like crying because we feel like we've got to be tough? I think at that point we become less human. What happens if we decide the best way to go is let's just not care because this hurt too, hurts too much? We become less human. What happens if we withdraw? We become less human. What happens when we don't lament? We become isolated in our pain. And some of you might be sitting there and you just go, well, but aren't there some things that we just need to suck it up? Well, apparently not. <laughs> All right? If you've read the Bible, apparently not. If you've read 1 Peter 5 verse 7, uh, some of you know the one I'm talking about. Cast all your what? Cares, your anxieties, your troubles upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. God never says to you to suck it up. Do you know what he says over and over again? He says, talk to me. Tell me about it. Tell me what's going on for you in your life. Pour out your heart to me. And what I'm after, what we're after at the project is a, a full-orbed expression of humanity. I don't want a whole bunch of people who just kind of withdraw and become these weird, feelingless machines. That's not what I want. And I don't think that's what God wants. I mean, if a third of the Psalms are laments, it probably would make sense that maybe a third of your life could be a lament. Here's the truth, though, isn't it? Someone, sometimes we find someone else's cry pretty hard to handle, don't we? I mean, let's get that away. <laughs> Can you just do that over there? Actually, there's a room over there and there's a soundproof door on it. If you can go in there and talk to Jesus in there and shut the door, I'd be really happy with that. 
But you know, our struggle in handling someone else's pain is our struggle, not their problem. Okay? And there's people in here that have had some really brutal things that have happened in their lives. Now sometimes uh, I look at other cultures when, you know, when someone's died and there's, and, and there's people standing there just wailing about it. And there's a part to that that I just think that, that just looks really healthy to me. But there's a part of me that just goes, oh, there's no way I want to be there. Like just being in the presence of someone with pain and pouring out their pain and their trouble. Because inside of me, I want to fix it. I want to get it away. Not even so much for the other person's sake, but because I feel uncomfortable with that going on. I feel uncomfortable that that's unfinished. Go back to uh, the Bible there in 77 verse 3. Just want to... Going to get you to do a little bit of work a couple of times today. So uh, we're just coming up to one of those. So uh, keen for you just to be keyed in on this. Verse uh, 3 there. Listen to that. I mean, it kind of works in reverse to what you'd expect. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You know, there's a grief that God's children carry that is additional to what people who don't know Jesus carry. Isn't there? Because you can get right in the middle of your pain... And that creates a whole bunch of other set of problems for you, all right? Because you know in your head that God's good. You know in your head that he's sovereign, that he's in control. You know in your head that he's loving. And what the hell is happening in my life? Do you see what I'm saying? It's just, it's another kind of grief there. And you can see the psalmist here is actually, if you, if you go down to verse 10, have a look at verse 10 down there. I want you to hear this. Verse 10, if, if you've got an ESV Bible, there's a footnote on verse 10 which takes you down to an alternative translation. It says this, verse 10 says, Then I said I will appeal to this to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. And at that point we're all going, yeah, this is really good, right? Because he's just starting to, he's pulling in, in the right direction. He's starting to get positive about it. We're going, yeah, I can't hear that lament too long. But look at the alternative translation down the bottom, which I think probably fits the text better. This is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. <laughs> Do you see that? Like it's like he's pouring out his lament and he gets to that verse 10 and he's just going, what is the, like the center of my grief is that I think that God's heart toward me has changed and it's not good anymore, but he's after me or he's not looking after me and he's not loving anymore. You see that? So here's my question for you. Have you ever thought about God in the midst of your pain and it made your pain worse? Is anyone? Is, it, is anyone brave enough to, uh, to just give us a 10 or 15 second just quick summary about how it made it worse for you? This is where you can talk and I stop. Yeah, it becomes a, a personal thing, yeah. Yeah, yep. so it becomes then a, a question of, is this my own fault? Have I strayed? Have I... Yeah, yeah, that's good. Sometimes you can't bridge the gap. It doesn't matter how much you try, how, many, how much 
Let's keep going. What we're doing, I just want to, I want you to notice something. What we're doing here is really good, okay? Because that's what the psalmist does. The psalmist is raw and a little bit unfinished, right? And I'm absolutely passionate about us going to war against shame, all right? And the way that you go to war against shame is you be raw and you be honest in front of other people. And these two ladies have already done that, all right? So someone else want to throw in. Let me just remind you the question. How have you ever thought about God in your pain? Sorry, have you ever thought about God in your pain and it made it worse? Yeah. Um, when you go through a spot where you just feel that the presence of God is not with you and you don't know where to turn to and you start blaming yourself on the one side and saying, what have I done wrong? Yeah. And then on the other side you start saying, what am I not doing that I should be doing yeah. because God's presence is not with me? Yeah. And then you really feel lost. Yeah. good and you also see other people and you think or you see what the facade at least yeah. that they've put out and you think well how come in a similar situation theirs has been resolved but yours hasn't what that's a killer that's yeah yeah i mean that that can get personal too can't it it's like maybe god likes them more than me or, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're not saying that are we but who, let's be honest who's ever thought that <laughs> All right, you know the you know the the theology in inverted commas, but it doesn't always play out. So here's um, just so you've you've got a bit of an idea. This is the pattern that the uh, the psalmist here is actually showing us. All right, starts with the lament. Now, um, if you didn't get a chance to throw in, there'll be another chance. All right, so some of you go, dang it, I was I was so keen to be honest and vulnerable. Um, I do want to read verse 4 to 9 right now, okay? So if you can grab your Bibles again. What we actually see the, uh, the psalmist doing is he's, he started off with lament and now he's pushing into reflection. Um, and, and let's see what he has to say here. You hold, this is verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I mean, that, that is descriptive, isn't it? Some of you have been like that. You've been so troubled that you can't speak sometimes. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And what I want you to notice about this, just keep looking at that section of that psalm there. What I want you to notice is this, is that pain and suffering teach us things that, about God's character that aren't true. Did you see that? They just teach things that aren't true. And here's the thing, what actually happens with us is, is um, we get in pain and suffering and we don't stop long enough to reflect upon it. And what ends up happening is we end up living the lies, all right? The lies that our pain and suffering have taught us about God remain unchecked and we operate in our lives on the basis of those lies. 
and it messes with us. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It just does. It just messes with you. All right? And part of your problem is, is the pain and the suffering that you're in. The other part of the problem is that we live lives where we don't make space for reflection. We don't make space to let the penny drop, if I can put it that way. And I want to suggest to you that if you're in the middle of pain and suffering, you need to make space for the penny to drop. You see, and on top of that, we just need to push a little bit further. We need to make sure that we think about things uh, to the point of, of reflecting, uh, synthesizing, verbalizing, uh, writing things down, all right? So that we get the truth down and we understand the truth about what we're thinking, all right? Now, what we're thinking may not be true, but actually understanding the truth about what we're thinking. Um, because we start to believe some crazy things functionally in those times, don't we? Just go back to Psalm 77 for me. Verse 7. Now listen, what's the answer to, will the Lord spurn forever? No. What's his answer? Maybe. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't that what he's saying? It's, it's like, he might. He might cast me off forever. It's like the pain and the suffering is teaching him all of a sudden, well, hang on, God's character isn't unfailingly faithful anymore. He might actually cast me off. Do you see that? And he's, it's almost like he's got to write it down. Now, we can sit there and go, well, hang on, Asaph, that's not right. It's not what you're saying is not right, but you know what? It is right in terms of it's right about what he thinks. All right? And there's a sense for us, like, here's part of the problem with the church. The church hasn't always been particularly good at letting humans say things that aren't right about God, even if they're right about what the person thinks about God. Do you understand what I mean? And we all just get really uncomfortable. You know, and Asaph is kind of going, he might cast me off. And we're all going, oh, okay. So I'm thinking wherever it is in the Gospels, you know, where Jesus goes, oh, no, he'll never let you out of his hand. You know, God's faithful. He's got steadfast love for you. And we're all just kind of going, let's get that one in there, Asaph. That'll help you. But that's not what needs to happen. He doesn't need a text at this point in time. What he needs to do is he needs to see what he actually thinks in that moment, what he's feeling, where his heart is at. Verse 8, have a look at verse 8. This is like one of the dumbest things. I'll just think about that first question there. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Do you get what I'm saying? Like that's dumb, right? It doesn't make sense to me. All right? Because if it's steadfast, it doesn't stop. Isn't that fair enough? But here's the thing. He's in pain. He's in suffering. And he's actually, what's he doing? He's actually, it's, there's a sense in which he's putting down on paper things that are just patently false, but he's actually believing them. And what it's going to do is it's going to provide the platform for him to actually handle the pain that he's in. Otherwise, what's going to happen is he's just going to keep running with the lie that that is. Anyone ever felt like that, that God's steadfast love has ceased for them? Have you? You have, right? And like, let's be honest about that stuff. Let's not be a church that stands up and speaks the truth of the scriptures without actually having to grapple with how that intersects with the truth in inverted commas that we believe and that we function on. What about verse 8 there? Go back to verse 8. Are his promises at an end for all time? Really? Re like seriously? Like you know the answer to that, right? They're not. 
But when you're in the middle of it, well, that might be. That might be it. It might be it. Maybe everything I heard is not true. You see the assault that pain and suffering is, is, is having on uh, the, the psalmist's um, understanding of God's character. What about verse 9? Have a look at verse 9 there. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Now listen, you, you know this. If you've been in the church long enough, you know what omniscience is, right? Omniscience is that God knows everything. What's he saying? He's going, man, this is so bad. I'm, I'm starting to think that God's forgotten to be kind. Is that possible? No, is it possible to feel like that? Yeah, it is. And do you know, you just don't want to operate on that one for too long, do you? And here's the thing, like, is what I'm saying. Like, we operate on stuff that's just not true. And if we don't stop long enough, reflect long enough, write it down, speak it out, say it to someone. I mean, here's the beauty of having a good friend, right? You, you need to have some good friends. You need to have good community where you can say ridiculous things to. You, you can just say it to them. You with me? Just like, and not someone who's just going to go, brother, you need to read John 3.16. You know, sister, you know, seriously, God said that he loves you. It's going, uh, you know, and not feeling like they've got a correct intellectual theology. See, the correction that needs to happen here is a correction to functional theology. That's what needs to happen here. And, and what needs to happen is there needs to be a place where you can uh, verbalise this kind of stuff. Uh, verse 9, go back to the last half of verse 9. There has he in anger shut up his compassion. Now, what's the answer to that? No, he hasn't. <laughs> no, he hasn't. But I tell you, if you operate in your life as though um, God's stopped being compassionate, I mean, just think about that for a minute. If you functionally believe that God has ended his compassion and there's no more compassion that exists from God for you, that's going to mess up a whole bunch of things, right? It's just going to mess up a whole bunch of things. So here's uh, your, next, uh, your next chance to throw in all those people that were champing at the bit there before. Here's my question for you. What has suffering taught you that is not true about God? It doesn't have to be current. Happy if it is current. But what has suffering taught you that is not true about God? Who wants to throw in? Yeah, no, it does. Appreciate that. So what has suffering taught you that is not true about God? Someone else? That he plays favourites. That he's unfair? No? Do you want me to... Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. That he doesn't care? Which, I mean, seriously, like at that point, you just go, okay, so he's starting to look pretty unloving. 
at that point. Like if someone's in a whole bunch of pain and, and it, like I'm starting to think he doesn't care, it's like he's not a very nice person at that point. That he's indifferent about my suffering and my pain? Is that you, Renee? That he's not powerful enough to do something about it. Yeah, yeah. That he's not powerful enough? Yeah, yeah. It's like in other Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, I would say the whole of my life, I've never questioned God's capacity to do stuff about things that were going on in my life. But I, my question was always about whether he wanted to. <laughs> that, that's, that was, that's a touch point there. Yeah, collateral damage. Yeah, 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 absolutely. One last person. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. He's always angry at you. See, suffering and pain teaches us stuff about God's character. And what I love about this psalm is, that, you know, there is a, obviously it's a, a translation of verse 10 there. If, if you have a look at it again, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. It kind of sounds a little bit positive, but if you actually look at some other translations, like they tend to go in the negative way. It's like, this is my grief, this is my pain, that God's heart has actually changed toward me. And that he doesn't, maybe, maybe those things are true, those reflections are true. So, um, I mean, that kind of captures something of, of human experience, I think. But notice what he actually does now. And what's gritty about this psalm is I, I just get the feel the whole way through this psalm that he doesn't quite get the answer that he's looking for. But somehow um, Asaph is teaching us how to hang on when you don't quite get the answer that you're looking for. So why don't you read with me? We're going to read from verse 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. You see that? It's like... Those kind of meditations are causing him pain. He's just going, I'm just going to do that anyway. I'm just going to push in and I'm going to meditate on those things anyway. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now there's something that you might have just not noticed. You notice from verse 11 till the end, do you know what word seems to disappear? I. Do you see that? I actually starts to disappear. Do you see, see one of the things that actually happens when you're in pain and, and, and going through suffering, and I'm not in any way making light of this, but pain and suffering becomes the orienting center of your life. And what you actually see from the psalmist here is he actually starts to track through the things that he knows about God. And as he's tracking through those things that he knows about God, the correct orbit is actually restored in his life. 
You see, pain and suffering for him was the thing that was dwarfing God. But now what we actually see is that God starts to dwarf his pain and his suffering. But if you look there um, in, in those verses at the end of that psalm, it's not just a mighty God, is it? It's a mighty God who's a redeemer. Go down to verse 15. You with your arm redeemed your people. Do you see he's, he's starting to lay hold on the character of God that works on behalf of his people and looks after his people. And then in verse 16 to 20, you see these mighty acts of God. I mean, it kind of sends you back to the, the, uh, the Exodus, doesn't it? Going, the Israelites going through the Red Sea. Now you get down to verse 19 there. Your ways... Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Notice what he just throws in at the end of that verse there, in verse 19. Yet your footprints were unseen. Isn't that kind of what he's saying, like the whole way through this psalm? It's like, I don't see your footprints. But I know that you do stuff, and I know that you're up to something, but I can't actually see your footprints. You see, God's mighty and awesome, but he's not just great, I can trust him. You notice at the end, I, I find the ending is just a little bit abrupt. I'm kind of, I kind of get to the end of it, I go, I, I'm just kind of looking for a little more closure. Asaph, if you can just help me out with that. Well, how does he finish? He goes, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What's he saying? He's saying God's a shepherd. He's, he's not even getting to the point yet of applying that to himself and saying God's my shepherd, but he's saying God is a shepherd and in that there's hope for me. You see, I think this psalm ends the way that most of our trouble ends. Unfinished. <laughs> Doesn't it? It's just not neat. It's just that we want a, lot, a nice little proverb at the end of it. Just go, see? And they trusted in God and everything went well for them. That's right, they lived happily ever after. It's unfinished. You see, this pattern, this is what I think God is teaching his people is he's teaching them how to walk through trouble. And he's saying, lament, reflect, worship. Lament, reflect, worship. You know, this, isn't it interesting? It's like the psalm itself is written by Asaph for the people of Israel. What's the psalm? The psalm's saying God's not looking after us. But isn't it ironic that God's inspiring the writing of this psalm so that God's people would be looked after? Do you see that? So that they would know, they'd be able to be taught how to walk through trouble. And I want to finish today um, with a quick survey. I want to ask this question. Where has humanity needed a song like this? Where has humanity needed a song like this? Well, I want to suggest to you that we needed it from Genesis chapter 3 where humanity sinned for the first time, didn't we? Adam and Eve got into a whole bunch of trouble, didn't they? And you know what they needed to do? They needed to go and talk to God about their trouble. Don't hide, Adam and Eve. Don't hide. Don't do that. Go and find him. Talk to your father. And then just think about it. They get kicked out of the garden. I mean, they could have used that song then, couldn't they? So like, go and talk to him about it. Tell him the trouble that you're in, but they didn't do it. And then God's like, righto, you're out. You're kicked out of the garden. Now, just we don't have anything in the biblical record about this, but just stop for a minute. Like going back to Psalm 77, you think about the pain that the psalmist is talking about. When I remember God, it hurts more. Well, think about what it would have been like for them. Imagine thinking about Eden when you're in the middle of thorns and thistles. 
Imagine thinking about Eden and what it was like with God and what he was like to you in there when you just found out one of your sons killed the other one. They could have done with a song like this, couldn't they? It would have helped them. And then you get to the, uh, the Israelites who were stuck in Egypt as slaves for 400 years, four centuries. Modern Australia hasn't even lasted that long. And then Moses and Aaron go into uh, the Pharaoh and say, let, let the people go. And then the Pharaoh just goes nuts on them and loads them up even more. The people of Israel say this, they say, The Lord look on you, Moses and Aaron, and judge, because you've made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. They could have done with a song like this, couldn't they? You see that? They're getting ideas about what God's character is like from the pain and the suffering that they're in. And what about this one? You always know the story of Gideon, right? Just going to go to uh, Judges. If you can get to Judges, I'd love for you to get to Judges. Judges 6. Here's the deal. People of Israel are getting beaten up by the Midianites. All right? They did some brutal stuff to them. Basically, uh, 6 verse 4, the Midianites would encamp in camp against Israel, devour the produce of the land, leave no sustenance in Israel, and no sheep or ox or donkey. They basically stole all their stuff so they had nothing to eat. All right. An angel shows up and talks to Gideon. We're in chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which uh, belonged to Joash the Abizrite. There you go. That's a proper way to say it too, by the way. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So you don't beat out wheat in a wine press. You get out in the open, but if you get out in the open and people steal your food, you do it in a wine press. All right. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Listen to what Gideon says. Gideon could have done with this psalm, right? And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and he's given us into the hand of Midian. He could have done with this psalm, couldn't he? And then the Israelites get exiled in 800 BC. They go off to Babylon. Then they end up kind of being oppressed a bit by the Romans in Jesus' time. There's a sense through the Bible in which trouble for God's people seems to be repetitive. There's an ongoing need for a psalm like this that's going to teach God's people how to talk to him in the middle of their trouble. And then what we actually find is this visitor from another world Jesus Christ takes on human skin and he embeds himself in trouble Isaiah 53 3 he was despised and rejected by men listen to this a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief you know we go back to Psalm 77 where it says I cry out loud you know what it says in Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, in the days of Jesus' flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, listen to this, with loud cries and tears. Someone's come, has taken on our skin, has gotten in the middle of our troubles, is a man of sorrows, and has been afflicted by the stuff that afflicts us. What did he do? He cried out loudly. 
He did Psalm 77, didn't he? What did he do on the cross, Matthew 27? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet, what else does Jesus do at the end of his death on the cross for your sins? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Do you see that? He goes through that dark, dark night. He cries out. He expresses those things inside of him. And I'm not saying that he gets God's character wrong, but he just expresses the experience that he's in at that point in time. But at the end of it, he's able to put his faith and his trust in his Father. See, Jesus does Psalm 77. You see that? He entrusts himself to his Father in the middle of the silence.